the high-end homes market seems to have had no negative impact. The people above like 1.3, at least here in our market, like they're not feeling the pinch as much as everyone else, <laughs> right? And they're a little bit less concerned about interest rates. So someone buying a $5 million house, I don't think they're worried about the cost of bananas and avocados. I've done some deals in the States in the high value markets and they're trucking along, no problem. Even you look at down in New York, they have the same thing. Like some of the sales this year in New York were all time highs. And then maybe this comes back to the thing that during all of these times that you have the redistribution of wealth and it flows upwards. Like it doesn't redistribute evenly. Like it just spreads the gap. Like you look at that with stuff that happened 2007, 2008, bigger gap after that. And that's why there's no middle class really. People have all these crazy conspiracies of, of how it happened. It was more like, you know, during these pinch times, some people get really rich, everyone else gets a little bit poor. And then we end up putting in more government and stuff like that. We talked about last time and I think that that would show that more government as a result has made more people poor. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. This is the Master Keys Podcast. I'm Chandler. I'm Neil Andrino. Uh, I love that we just stopped counting episodes. That was something that was really bugging me. I didn't it's, like counting the episodes. I didn't either. You were better at keeping track of that. Um, I don't think anyone's like, hmm, episode 36 uh, was my was my one. But anyway, before we get into it, the Masterpiece Podcast, we talk about real estate investing as a primary, but we talk about a lot of other things that touch on that as well and, and great business highlights and political highlights, I guess. Um, we are real estate investors. We're real estate agents. And we're just giving you our opinion on things. We're not we're not financial advisors by any means. Um, today's main topic, before we go any further, today's main yep. topic is going to be on the fact that one third, Chandler was fighting me on this before we even got here, but we're yeah, waiting. No, wait, mean, wait, 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 wait. One third of mortgages today are over a thirty year amortization. And so, if you're listening to this, just think like if you have a mortgage, when you sign, ninety five percent of the time they say either twenty five or thirty years. Yeah, Very to pay off the mortgage, to pay off the mortgage. The full length to pay off the mortgage, not your like set term, like what you're choosing your interest rate and what type of mortgage you have. But now, a third of these mortgages have auto-extended past 30 years. Anyways, we're going to dive into that completely once we get to that section of the pod. And Neil's back on his doom and gloom. And so uh, I'm back on my doom and gloom. Chandler tried to fight me as I, he was crossing the bridge. Two margies my phone, in. And then I was having my margs and I could see my phone just ringing, T-Chan, T-Chan, T-Chan. And I was like, oh, he's, he's, he's scrapping. He wants us to get down. Um... But, also, big announcement: Neil's taking over for Tucker Carlson uh, <laughs> over at Fox. Uh, did you follow that at all? Tucker no, Carlson I did not. and Don Lemon both gone. So Tucker Carlson gone from Fox. Don Lemon gone from CNN. No way. Yeah, yeah. I don't follow both, much like, American news. Stepped in it quite a bit. Uh, if you don't follow, like Don Lemon had some like weird, sketchy screw ups on CNN. He made this comment. A, a, a woman, I think, it was a politician, made a comment about a man being past his prime. Maybe referring to Biden, who is so far past his prime. <laughs> like, he's like, anyway. Sleepy um, Joe? He's he like is an, just... I don't know if a raisin can expire, but he's the equivalent of a human <laughs> expired raisin. Um, he's just hitting his prime. I love oh the clip God. of him on the bicycle when he's coming across the crosswalk. <laughs> just and he just over. Okay. Skills, yeah. uh, it's so funny. It's a good, it's a good clip. Uh, cut to the clip. Um, <laughs> but uh, then Don Lim said, well, she's a woman in her 50s. She's past her prime as well. And... <laughs> It was not received well. Um, uh, and then John Stewart had this interview. I can't. I think I can't remember who the interview was with. It was it was a a boat gun control, and he was you know ripping into this person. And Don Lemon didn't realize that he was still miked, and he essentially criticized John Stewart and said effectively, "Well, he's just a comedian and whatever. He's not a real journalist." Kind of like he implied that. And uh, now Don Lemon is out. Tucker Carlson gotten all the hot water because. 
um, Fox News was being sued by the company that makes the voting machines or the vote countering machines. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they said all kinds of things that basically the machines were fraudulent and flawed and there was wrong illegal voting. Yeah, and that's a machine I would blah, blah, never blah. want to be behind. Um, and that company successfully sued Fox for like, I don't know, half a bill, more than half a bill. Like it was in the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And as part of the disclosure, they took, they got access to all of these Fox News anchor texts. And in it, Carlson is basically saying, one, that Trump's an idiot, that he dislikes Trump, uh, thinks Trump is ruining the Republicans, and admits that there was no voter fraud and the election was not rigged, despite multiple times being on air saying that it was. And yeah, But he's just a pretty announcer. It's not his actual opinions. He's No, but he's so popular because they are supposedly his opinions. He, he's editorial style, right? Like that is his, and he was the number one show. Um, so he's also going to have a podcast soon. Maybe we can get him onto a podcast spot. Uh, I think it'd be cute if they did We're a show together. We're not sellouts, though. So. But, um, oh, my God. Not saying we wouldn't be, though, if anybody's got no. a fair... <laughs> Everybody's got a price. Um, interesting. Okay, well, that was yeah. an aside. I wasn't following it. I don't really follow mainstream news. I'm, I am a YouTube man, internet news guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm like the conspiracy guy. Conspiracy. Like Breaking Points? Breaking Points is great, but they're pretty yeah. mainstream now, too. But Yeah, 100%. Um... Okay, let's get into some actual real estate news. Yeah, yeah, hit me with it. What you got? Okay, well, I was going to talk about some interesting stuff. Like, first one actually we'll talk about was Dave Allred. Lily Mm -hmm. Allred is his last name. Uh, I just saw his article pop up. I think it was on like CNBC or something. And it was titled that he says, the model has changed. And he is a U.S. real estate investor. He owned 1,000 units by the time he was 36. Mm -hmm. Retired. He's continued to buy stuff, but... Effectively lives retired and just manages his his real estate. Um, he started like most people did, bought a single family townhouse, bought a few more, bought them mm-hmm, in foreclosure mm-hmm, auctions, mm-hmm. rented them out, whatever, refinanced. Um, and really, the whole premise of the article was that model, basically the burr, mm-hmm. temporarily is on hold. Who said that first? I think we did say it first, but CNBC didn't pick up Master Keys podcast, surprisingly. Wow. To, this to, is why they're firing people. They, <laughs> they don't have their finger on the pulse. They're looking in the wrong directions. Okay, what's his logic behind that? Ba- basically, it's just the idea like that you're not going to be able to get the lifts, and it looks like <clears throat> there's going to be... We may maintain a certain level of growth, like there'll be years that are down a few points, up a few points, but as a whole, you can't guarantee that you're going to have that growth unless you have massive home run deals that you get mm-hmm. but because before for a while there pretty much any deal could be squeezed to make sense and yep. now that that's not necessarily going to be there and so he's saying you need to start looking at alternative businesses to come up with cash to get the down payments so you should still be buying real estate and preparing for the next run but you're not going to be able to but you're not going to be able to be able to get constantly liquid, be burning get yeah. liquid from the real estate like and there's not money physically in those properties i i 100 agree with you and and, and i i think well, that Dave. was in our oh I agree with Dave Allred. Um, and I said this, and this was our end of 2020 episode um, where we talked about like what we thought was going to be hot for the following year and what wasn't. I'm like, the Burr model is not going to be hot because the Burr model, if you, and we've got a great, great Patreon on, on this where like we go through the numbers and we're like, yeah, and see how it's not that great unless you hit a home run. <laughs> or like you really need a, a successful Burr. Everyone's got different rules of thumb. Some people say, I need to be able to double the value of that property. If I buy it for for four, it needs to be worth eight at the end when I'm finished. I think like a decent rule of thumb is like a 50% return. If you buy for, you know, 300, if you can get that sucker to 450, you can at least get your money back. It's hard to be rule of thumb though, because sometimes massive properties, totally, there's totally. still a squeeze and stuff. But there needs to be a sizable, sizable lift in there. Yes. And we're very fortunate where the market would often support, um, you know, these 
returns on investment in a short period of time. But mm-hmm. you even alluded to this a little bit when you're talking about how other areas of the world and the real estate had done this run up. And at a certain point, it has to crescendo. And you mm-hmm. can only have so many years where the real estate market goes up 5%, 7%, 10%. At some point, literally no one will be able to afford it. Like I think not, we might be at that point. We're, we're, we've got to be brushing up against it here in the next little bit. Not necessarily here in Halifax, but in major markets, it's getting silly, which is why they start having a disproportionate amount of rental stock and condos and smaller units and all these things that we also covered in in last week's episode. Um, so there is Even, a, there is a I don't want to say... And then you add into the stuff we've also talked about with this world population is about to crescendo. And then all of the real estate in the entire world is competing for the same buyers, right? And you know, there's only going to be so many people in the world, like we're, we're going to slow our population growth. And then how do you support real estate markets? So there is an end date on real estate price increases. There just is in the same way that there's an, a, a, a plateau. I shouldn't say rates. this. I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. You're looking at me like, Oh no, <laughs> no, no. I was actually just thinking about how we do a podcast about investing in real estate. We're like, it's coming to a close folks. Well, but I mean, we started it when things were ripping and we have to be real about it. Like it goes both ways. Um, but real estate's just another form of investment. And like any investment, there's periods of time that they do really, really well. And there's periods of times that they will hold value, maybe lose a little bit, but it's like any investment. You yeah. buy a stock, it never just goes straight up. Mm. Well, also right? there'll be times go up and yeah. down. The industries move, they ebb and flow because it's like anything. Okay, so now we're not producing enough oil. Eventually, they're going to get to the point where they're producing so much oil that they're overproducing. And the market's going to slow down for a minute while it takes mm-hmm. time for it to catch up. And there's going to be people who go bankrupt in the interim, businesses that shut down, and then it's going to go back up again. Same with real estate, just another commodity at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a commodity that is definitely needed, which is nice, but so are pretty much all these other ones that we trade and follow. So um, I think we're changing changing periods. But again, it doesn't mean that you have to stop. Like every like Shell's been through multiple downturns and maintain the business, right? So it's it's changing your mindset of like, I'm still going to invest. I'm going to be very prudent in what I buy, um, and kind of watch my ass when I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's time to liquidate some properties that don't necessarily fit the build anymore. And you got to have to look at, it's a big time. It's a good time to plan, right? Like what's your end goal? Where am I going with this? What, what's the strategy? I know now I've been spending my time doing spreadsheets to be like, okay, what do I need to run these? What are the, the capital expenditures I have coming up? Um, and like, where are my shortfalls? And mm-hmm. I'm finding I have shortfalls within my, my spreadsheet that I'm like, if I just keep doing what I'm doing in X amount of months, I'm going to run dry. Mm-hmm. So I have to let go of some stuff or I have to do something to make this thing work, mm-hmm. right? Whether it be increase the rents if that's possible. But unfortunately, where we are, there's rent caps that we can't really get mm-hmm. around um, and things like that. So it's it's just, it's one of those times to be diligent about it. And I think if you're a person that's like, well, now I'm just not going to do it. I mean, then, then you probably shouldn't have gotten into it to begin with. <clears throat> well, the, if we continue that sort of analogy that you're making about it being like a, a stock, well, there's a lot of stocks that, are, are level over the years, you know, they're, they're sitting at say $40 a share or whatever it may be, yep. but they pay dividends. And if you look at it from, yep. a, from a real estate perspective, like, okay, maybe my property value is not going up, yep. but I'm paying down the principal, and you're getting right? And, and, and a a maybe paycheck. I'm getting a bit of cash flow over time. Yep. And you could view that as effectively a dividend, Yep. right? And so, yeah, there are going to be times when the share price goes on a run and that's great. Yep. But at the end of the day, you're getting the dividend. And then what you decide to do with that dividend is if the share price is dropping and you feel good about it, you use the dividend to buy more shares. Yep. Right? So when there are real estate pullbacks, 
then you buy more if you believe in, in the value. Uh, and then maybe when times are lean and, and you need some cash flow for whatever reason, you can take the dividend payment, yep. right? Like, so if you continue that analogy, I think it's a really good one. I hadn't thought about it that way, to be honest with you. But this is also what real estate investment trusts do. Um, and they've seen, they typically operate in the commercial space and, and in a lot of cases, like the retail or plaza space. They've been through the times where there's massive vacancy and there's defaults on these big, big leases. So they've been through that up and down. And what's crazy, I was looking at RealCan the other day and I started investing in RealCan back in 2000. Seven, I want to say, and I stopped investing around 2010. Um, but the share price is very similar to what it was back then. They went through a big, big boom bust moment. Like, like they, they would go. I, I think probably, and and someone's going to shred this because I haven't actually looked at this. But I remember they were always somewhere between. 12, 13, and $20, somewhere in there, which I know is a big range, but we're talking over, you know, coming up 10 on... 10 years. <clears throat> well, we're, we're coming up on almost 20 years that I'm talking about. Like, it never moved a whole lot, um, but I would always get my dividends, and I would take my dividends and just buy more shares, more shares, more shares. Uh, so you'd get kind of the best of, of both worlds. And um, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah, to they were ripping in, in, in the mid to late 2000s. They went from 8 bucks to $25. And then since then, they've had a couple little implosions. Like I think it was, yeah, 2008, they went down to 14 bucks. Then yeah, immediately the they got. followed back up to $28. And they've been up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then they rolled between 23 to $28. Okay. Up and down. So up and yeah, down, up and down. I, I was wrong with my, my COVID range, hit. Or I was wrong with the start, bottom and top and bottom on my range, but COVID, yeah. 14 back, 14 bucks. Really? Well, yeah, you were no close. You were within in. a buck yeah. or two. Uh, yeah. 14 bucks, and then now they've come back to $21. Yeah. So the idea is like, <clears throat> someone could look at that and be like, oh my gosh, man, depending on where I bought in there, I could be two decades into this thing and not be up a dime, depending on when you bought and sold. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone who is collecting dividends, because I, I guarantee you they pay dividends no matter what throughout that yep. entire process. Yep, um, 5%. And, you know, so you would have weathered that storm through your dividends, and probably some people were shrewdly buying at low points, selling a little bit at the high points, and just navigating through it. I, I think the same could be said for real estate. And so to that point, exactly. It's 100% the same with real estate. I mean, that is a real estate trust. Um, you can't time the exact bottom, and you can't time the top. If you are, I want to say full-time, managing your investments and really aggressively paying attention to where the market's going and projecting, you probably can be, like you said, prudent and be buying on the way down and then selling on the way up and, and do pretty well with it. But if you are somewhat passively or on the side handling it, trying to time those is really, really tough. And you can miss some amazing deals uh, oh, doing yeah. it like that. You like you, you can sell out potentially too low. And then when you try, I find the tough part is always buying back in. When you sell and then you're trying to buy back in, and you wait too long because between getting busy and not being full-time in this, you end up losing the opportunities to buy back in. And you, if you look at it, you should just hold on to it the whole way through. And so I guess that's my, my point and your point with this is like things are slowing down. It's a great time to adjust, look at your portfolio, uh, look through your, your, your properties and decide which ones you want to keep, which ones you want to get rid of. And if you're a buyer and you're just trying to break into it, now could be an amazing time because there's a lot of people, including like REITs, like you saw, like Killam has started to sell properties in Halifax. Yeah. Like... They're looking at assets. They're like, okay, these are assets that are underperforming for us. They're probably a lot of work. And for a big giant REIT, surprisingly, a 60-unit building isn't worth their time to get into trying to remanage and figure it out. Yeah. And so they're going to sell stuff off. And there's guys that are predominantly in the 40 to 60-unit buildings that are like, you know what? There's a couple 6 and 12 units that I have that I'm just not interested in getting into. Mm-hmm. And so for somebody, there's margin here. 
And for me, I need to sell it right now to try and clean up my book. And so they're going to offload some of those. So it's a great time to buy, but be very prudent and don't buy like people were buying two years ago. I don't even think it was necessarily the right thing to do that two years ago or a year ago now. No, two years ago it was. You, you still have a good amount of run. Yeah, like two, two years, years ago, ago it was. Yeah. But a year ago, it was, it was, there were was some aggressive buys that didn't necessarily make sense. Um, but yeah, so anyways, that was... Uh, well, to continue, continue your, your thought there, like those models, because they're publicly traded, have profit reporting. Where like, you know, everyone this year, there was not a variable product that say had a bunch of rentals. They're like, yeah, my profit is way down. Can you imagine mm-hmm. if you just went to, you know, your board of directors or, you know, your shareholders meeting and be like, hey, so profits are way down. They'd be like, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Like you have a responsibility to liquidate underperforming assets, take capital and maybe pay down some bad debt or just like cash up. Protect your stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> if that's how they behave, wouldn't it make sense to behave similarly? It's good to follow follow the biggest. This is a similar concept of like Warren Buffett buys a stock and then there's a wave that follows. And it's like they have a ton of research, projection knowledge, experience, and why not harness what they're doing uh, yeah. and, and follow it? So 100%. Um, it's just so tricky right now because as a buyer, you're trying to buy something. You're like, oh, so they're saying it doesn't work for them. So why the and hell now does it they work want for me? to sell it to me. And they're not giving major well, discounts. And they're not giving major discounts. Mm-hmm. Um in fact, quite the opposite. And it's like, oh, if they couldn't make it work with their economy of scale, like, yes, there's something to be said for being smaller, more maneuverable, uh, and have some efficiencies in that respect. But there's oftentimes a reason they're, they're selling these assets. Well, and in different times, you could take over that asset and do different things and make it and make it grow. But yeah, right yeah. now, you're handcuffed pretty, pretty Okay, solid. well, now, now that we've gone on that path, the one thing I will say yes and no to that is because I was with one of our clients, and uh, they now have a construction company, and... His cost to build versus, mm. for me, someone who doesn't have a construction company, looking at my cost to build, like a ton of <laughs> projects don't make sense. I even look at a bunch of my clients um, that do a lot of the work themselves and they'll buy a single family home and turn it into a duplex for 60 grand because basically material yeah, yeah. cost is all at the end material and then electrician plumber. Yeah. And they're like, that's all I had for cost, everything else I handled. Yeah. And, and so some of them will rough in that stuff anyway and be like, okay, you guys are stamping it. You're doing the hard work, but I'll rough it in. And I was exactly like, about yeah. to say, I was like, I'm pretty sure they even run the lines for these guys yeah. and drill all the holes. So the electrician comes and literally just physically feeds the wires through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're walking out of it with these insanely low. I'm like, that project you just did for 60, I would do it for 150 and it wouldn't even look as nice as yours. Mm. And yeah. so and it's not because I'm so big, but on, on a relative scale for someone turning into a duplex and I'm used to doing buildings, it's it's so much more cost. And so yeah, yeah. on the flip side, when you're looking at a 30 or 20 or 12 that's being sold by a bigger group and you're like, what the fuck? Like, why is this not making sense for them? And am I nervous to be buying this? If the numbers make sense for you, there, there might be a good reason that they have a ton of overhead. They have a bunch of management and for yep. them to do it, like they're going to call the Black and McDonald's from of the world to come do their work and they're going to charge them 100 grand for a plumbing job that you know you have a guy that you know from work that can do it yeah. for 25 grand. Yeah, you, yeah. you know what I mean? So totally. don't... Yeah, but I, anyways, I, I just thought of that because I remember seeing, thinking that yesterday. I want to say, though, on the other side of the world, in a whole different market... Where's the other side of the world? Singapore. Okay. They're popping off. Pop, pop, pop. Up 14%. In what? Housing prices? In last year. Yeah. Huh. So while major markets around them have gone down, major markets all over the world in the last year have continued to go down, year over year, they're up another 14%. And Why? even more so... In the luxury sector. Singapore, more like Singer Rich, am I right? Sing- very much. Oh, no. 
No. Splice no. it, no. edit it, it make it real. <laughs> That's going to pop. Splice it, edit it, remove it. Carry on. Anyways, where I was going with this is one main reason is 90% of the land in Singapore, which is only 281 square miles. Yeah. So that's not very big. Um, is 90% government owned. So only 10% of the land is privately owned. Right. Now, the main driver of the price appreciation is what's called Singapore GCBs. It's awesome. I think it's Business Insider, Insider Information, whatever it's called. A GCB is called what's called a good class bungalow. Hmm. Now, good class average price is about $30 million. Jeepers. One sold in 2019 for $170 million USD for a single home. A bungalow? Well, they're called good class bungalows. They have a maximum height of like 28 feet or something. So they're okay, only two stories. You can do two stories, yeah. Yeah. And garages don't count. So a lot of them have like half underground garages. I was going to say a bungalow is supposed to be one story. but I, I know, I know. Mm-hmm. And location, size, land usage, height, um, perimeter, and ownership is what defines them as a good class bungalow. So they need to be owned by a Singapore citizen. Height has to be under, I think, 28, 30 feet. Land usage has to be at least 40% of the land has to be used. Size, the home has to be... How big do you think that home has to be for it to be considered a good class bungalow? <sighs> what the minimum size? There's a bunch of minimums. Like 10,000 square feet. Big baller Let's homes. 15,000 square feet is the minimum to be qualified like I as said, a GCB. Singer rich. Singer rich. Uh, you have to have a 10-foot um, boundary all the way around your lot that you Preferably can't build a in. Moat. No. Preferably a moat. And they have to be within the privately owned land subdivisions in Singapore. So sorry, like these, these are mandated by whom and why? That's like the zoning requirements. Whoa. To be able to build in these in these neighborhoods. Ooh. And then to be qualified as a GCB, you have to meet those those requirements. Anyways, I thought it was interesting the fact that they're flying off the shelf still and their price appreciation yeah. continues to go up. The other thing is Singapore is cool because 90% is government owned land. So most people don't really own their homes, and so they actually invest their money in other, other things. And I think Singapore's got like the highest, uh, like the highest ratio of millionaires in their people, because like mm, everyone here like crazy. dumps all of their money into the home, assuming that's going to be the way to go. But there, it's all it's government owned land. You just end up living in public housing, and so they don't end up investing in in real estate, like spending all their money to upkeep a home. They rent from a, a government owned building. And so that allows them to invest in the stock market or have their savings go elsewhere. Hmm. Uh, and it actually proves to work a lot better. But I just, I saw this and I was like, <coughs> it's crazy to see. The other thing, the fact that it has to be Singapore owned too. It's not like the richest of the world are buying here. It's, yeah, you have to be a Singapore You have to be a citizen? Singapore citizen Damn, to man. buy there. And Rich someone bought citizens. a house for $170 million. Crazy. Um, yeah, that's wild. What's going on? The rich? I say the rich. The like, the high-end homes market seems to have had no negative impact. I see that here too. Like, there was a home. <clears throat> I think it's still pending. It's on my lake down the street. Five my million. Lake. I don't it's Nathan know. McKinnon's lake. It's Nathan. No, he's selling his house. It's my lake now. <laughs> um, five million bucks pending in like two weeks. Well, I say this to people all the time because there was this challenge in the market. The stuff between like 650 and 1.2 was the slowest part of the market because those are the people that like they're doing great, but they can't be totally reckless. And a lot of cases they need to mm-hmm. sell their home really well to be able to comfortably afford 
to be in that in that price point. The people above like 1.3, at least here in our market, they're a little bit more um, like they're not feeling the pinch as much as everyone else, <laughs> right? And they're a little bit less concerned about um, interest rates. So someone buying a $5 million house, I don't think they're worried about the cost of bananas and avocados, right? Like they're, they're probably doing pretty good either way. Um, and then by contrast, yeah. like a lot of stuff is being pushed down to the lower price points that were freakishly competitive. I feel like interest rates hit everybody mm-hmm. though. I feel like anyone who's got that amount of money has some sort of borrowed money for their business or something. But it doesn't seem to be that case. Like, um, I've done some deals in the States in the high value markets and they're trucking along no problem. I know in in Halifax, it's the $1 million plus market's considered our high value market and it continues to get stronger and stronger every single year. Uh, this year, or last year was a record blowout year and I'm sure this year will be too. Like, what's the... What's the deal is, is my question. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of money was also made during those times. And like that, if you want to call them like the top 1% or top 0.1%, like they would have made a lot of money during COVID. Um, you know, they probably also did make some advantageous sales. You got to put that cash somewhere. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it certainly does seem to be the case that the super luxury, even you look at down in New York, they had the same thing. Like some of the sales this year in New York were all-time highs. Um, coming out of a city that was devastated by by covid obviously they're recovering um, and so like yeah it makes sense that stuff would have recovered to its previous levels but for it to recover to its previous levels and then smash through i don't know and i can't speak to singapore because i don't know what's going on over there but <laughs> um here too I, I know what you mean it is like damn so like things are tough everyone's talking recession and like five million dollar lake front home boom instantly under offer yeah blows my around man and then maybe this comes back to the thing that during all of these times that you have the redistribution of wealth and it flows upwards. Like it doesn't redistribute evenly. Like it just spreads the gap. Like you look at that with stuff that happened 2007, 2008, bigger gap after that. You look at it in the, the 90s, the 80s, all these times, like you get these yeah. bigger income gaps and you, you spread that out over a long period of time. And that's why there's no middle class, really. People have all these crazy conspiracies of, of how it happened. It was more like, you know, during these pinch times, some people get really rich. A lot of everyone else gets a little bit poor. And then we end up putting in more government and stuff like that. And I think that just makes people poor, but that's my own. We talked about last time. And I think that stats would show that more government as a result has made more people poor, but yeah. Is it better for the general public is the the question I think most people face. I don't know. The general public seems to be griping a lot. (laughs) So they don't seem to be as, as happy, but, um, on the another flip side sort of item that I had, and I think I don't know if we touched on it before, but I had wanted to bring it up for a couple pods now. I've had it sitting here, but it was the meeting for the Vancouver Housing Forum. Did I mention that to you? Was this where? Well, we talked a little bit about the fact that um, BC was banning single-family home zoning. Yeah, and so everywhere basically is going to allow two units or a triplex or four unit or townhouses or something. Yeah, that was the provincial government imposing that on all the municipalities? Um, but what's what's this Vancouver? Well, thing? so first of all, the Vancouver Housing Forum met, and twelve hundred people showed up, which I thought was sweet to have that kind of turnout and be able to have like a normal discussion. Because it seems like in Halifax, if you have more than hundred people show up, uh, they oh, have they're fifty percent crazies, fifty percent crazies that are ready to fight. Um, so I'm going to read it to you guys. But the highlights of the Homes for People project includes a promise of legislation that allows for up to four units on a single traditional housing lot. Mm-hmm. So it's a tax on the proceeds of house flipping. So they're addressing the reassignment market, which is people who are... No, not just the reassignment. I think it's both, but I think their target is in the reassignment market. But house Mm -hmm. flipping, obviously, is people who buy it, renovate, resell. 
Uh, but then there's also the idea of the condos. We've talked about it before where... The pre-con stuff. The pre-con stuff, the day they open, there's nothing on the ground. It's a hole in the ground. And they say, yeah, it's 650 for a condo. They put it under contract. And then when the building's actually done the day of closing, they sell it for 950 and they make a $300,000 profit. Um, they're looking to tax that. Because uh, right now that's been a gray area. That's always been the one that I'm like, man, I can't believe they're not coming after this. Like those are only only relevant <clears throat> in the two biggest markets, which are the ones people are most concerned about. Yeah, and it's a huge amount of money. With no one can be like, oh man, but I worked so hard on this place. It's like, no, you literally didn't. It doesn't <laughs> exist, right? You assumed all the risks, though. You assumed all the risk of your de- deposit, right? And and I'm sure there's some that... deposit and potentially if it doesn't sell, you could be sued. Yeah. So homes for the people project includes legislation that allows four units on single traditional right. housing lots. Yeah. Um, a tax on the proceeds of home flipping. Mm-hmm. This one's kind of cool. A forgivable loan of 50% of the cost of basement suite renovations. Forgivable? Up to a maximum of 40 grand. Okay. Over five years. If the secondary suites are rented at below market rates for at least five years. So I don't okay. know what that Great. rate That's is. complicated, but... It is a little complicated, but basically they're yossing you 40K to do a basement apartment. Uh, there's also measures to yeah. speed up permitting and reduce development costs with the goal of leveraging the private sector to develop. The plan is expected to cost $4 billion in the first three years and $12 billion over a decade just in Vancouver. Additionally, yeah. they're intending to lease a bunch of land to co-ops. And that's something we haven't touched on much. Yeah, co-ops are sort of complicated. Do you mean like a housing co-op, like a non-for-profit running this thing? Or do you mean like a co-op set up where individual owners... Yeah, so I mean, a housing co-op at the end of the day is technically a non-for-profit, right? Um, yeah. And so what it is is Vancouver is basically saying that they have a lot of land similar to what Halifax is doing now, where they've torn down a bunch of old infrastructure and they're going to sell the land. So they want to sell it to private developers, which will ultimately build likely beautiful condo buildings, office towers, and apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. But what they're looking to do is do land leases for a hundred years to co-op companies that'll build and then basically sell those units out at a much discounted rate and someone will then just pay the expenses to run those units. Um, and so you'll have mortgage payments, all the costs to run the building, which would be including exterior maintenance, interior maintenance. And oftentimes people within the co-op board will also do stuff to help reduce maintenance. So people who live there might do oh, really? the cleaning in the hallways huh. and stuff like that. That's kind of cool. And so, for example, the Four Sisters is a housing co-op trust that builds in Vancouver and they're just showing that in the current unit, the lady that was interviewed for this article, that she pays around 1500 bucks a month between mortgage interest, uh, her expenses to run the building, uh, her own expenses per, for the unit. It's mm-hmm. a three-bedroom loft. That same wow. market rent unit right next door goes for 4500 Yeah, no doubt. Three-bedroom yeah. loft. Jeepers. Yeah. So uh, it also includes handling garbage and all the other stuff like that. So anyways, Vancouver's putting a big push on to use all their surplus land to build co-ops. And again, I thought that was an interesting... Um, way of handling it. I think it's also a great way of handling it. And you see co- Vancouver's big on what they have is non-market housing. Uh, and that's these kind of properties where they're fixed more to the expenses than they are to um, just what can be made on, on the building. And so anyways, all I was trying to get at was that Vancouver Housing Trust is now putting, or I forget what it's called, the Vancouver Housing uh, for the people? Forum. Vancouver okay. Housing Forum, Highlights of Homes for the People, is they are going to be putting aside more and more land for these co-ops. And when I think in my head, honestly, co-op is really one of the key ways to affordability. It's also in a key way in general with any product you buy, whether it be housing or anything else. Co-ops are a way for people to be like, you know what? I 
if this costs $10, it's still brutal and it's not necessarily super affordable, but I know that they're only charging a 10% markup. And so realistically, I'm paying what this thing costs. Well, what's also interesting about that model, well, the challenge you're going to have is that it still costs the same to build it. Like yes. the building doesn't care what you're going to do with it when you're done. Like it's still going to yes. cost the same to build it. So yes. there's, there's that challenge. The other thing that's interesting with um, co-ops is they historically have been hard to finance. Like if you're yep. purchasing in a, in a co-op because where you don't own like something exclusively, um, it, it's hard for uh, a bank to lend on it. So you do limit your buying pool. Uh, but I wonder if like the housing trust would own it and then maybe rent it or, or do some like uh, rent to own type programs. The other thing is when you have a land lease and they do this stuff kind of in other countries where you own the property, but for a certain period of time, they actually go down in value because if you're selling that thing with only nine years left, it ends up dropping in price quite significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is kicking it down the road to some degree, but that ends up supporting a model whereby over time, the building actually gets more and more affordable in a weird way because people can buy the units for less cost, but they just have less long-term ownership. So they won't appreciate really as yeah. much. Well, and so exactly because of the land lease. If you take out the land lease, so I think the way that they're going to structure it, it isn't explained here, but I think it'd be like a developer goes out, takes the same HDMI product, so they're only whatever 5% down and they build it out and then their portion of the payment for that amount of money. So it might be like, you can get a product that you wouldn't necessarily be able to get as a residential customer right now. Like as a developer, you might get a 50-year AM with 5% down on and 4% interest rate on the unit that then they built for 300K. And so when you do that and you factor it out, you're like, oh, my payment's actually only 1,400 bucks. Mm-hmm. Right? So the developer right. goes, okay, yeah. I charge you the 1,400 plus here are all the expenses that go with it, another 500 bucks a month. You pay $1,900 and you get this three-bedroom right. This three bedroom unit. Yeah. Um, it's actually a really neat way to kind of... Yeah, I mean, they've got so much more history with this housing insanity, and they've got so much more capital um, that they're definitely further ahead in this compared to where we are in Halifax. The then funny thing is, though, having said all that, they're still way more expensive. So they put all these things in. You know, they were early to rent control. They were early to foreign buyer taxes. They were early to all of this stuff, mm-hmm. um, vacancy taxes, all of that. I don't know, man. Hasn't worked. This is a whole other side topic, and we're not going into this today, but there's this idea that, like, you know, if you just kept your space for an extended period of time, you wouldn't face all these insane expenses. Like, I know, what do you mean? well, you talk to the previous generation, they're all like, yeah, I lived in this home for 30 years. Right. I lived in this home for 30 years. Yeah. Well, if people rented the same apartment they were renting three mm-hmm. years ago and never moved... The rent or just still bought super, the same house and never... They, or if they bought life, the same yeah. first house they bought three to five years ago... Their life is still very cheap. Well, that gets it's into, a constant yeah. idea that we have to be always upgrading. Yeah, it's a new building, it's a new space, it's a bigger home. Yeah, I deserve two garages. And it's like, yeah, you deserve two garages, but your parents raised three kids, had all the stuff that they had, yeah. and they raised you in the same split entry that they had in Cole Harbor for the last forty years. Yeah, and now you and your sibling, or not sibling, or your partner, think that just you and them. Are plus you describing t- literally my wife right now? <laughs> oh, you and them plus your dog, which weighs three and a half pounds. Whoa. <laughs> Named Lamb Job? Yeah. This is need, crazy. Need a 3,500 square foot home. It's closer to four, but... <laughs> with a double garage and the whole shebang. Yeah. I think I think that might be part of the issue here is that everyone has yeah. an expectation and the idea with media and social media would be that, yeah, that's the norm. You just keep upgrading and by the time you're 30, you're already in your forever home. That's massive. Oh, man. I, I, like, like people ask... Like, one of the things... And the market's starting to run right now, right? And this is a digression, and, and we're, we're close to our, our time here. 
and we're going to get to the second half where we've got our key player of the week and we've got our main topping and all stuff we're excited for. But um, the one of the things anecdotally that you start to notice when you're selling a lot of homes and you're in the market, you see buyers, you notice how one person in a friend group buys mm-hmm. and then everyone in that friend oh. group has to buy. And then Dude. one person in that friend group rebuys, upgrades a little bit, and everyone yeah, in that friend group also starts looking, upgrade. right? Um, so there is a keeping up with the Joneses element to what, how people spend Massively. their money nowadays. Yeah. Massively. And it's not like they're continually getting ahead. It's like, oh, 5% on one. We got a little equity. We took that equity, put 5% on the next one. It's like you're just kicking that amortization down the road. And so they're extending their AMs. You were talking about, about that. We'll get into that in the second half. But this amortization stuff, people do that voluntarily. Shout out to the first buyer from my high school who bought their home and it just opened the floodgates and built my business. There you go. They had their housewarming party and I think I sold like six people from that housewarming party yeah, homes. Like, Damn it, they got this. I can do this. They can do this. I can do this. Yeah. Um, and you can, but like, do you need to? And that's something we don't necessarily consider a whole lot. But anyways, those are our news articles for today. We're going to make a switch now to phase two. Take a listen because we're going to be talking about how 30% of mortgages in Canada are over 30-year amortizations. That yeah, means so you're not paying this thing off 35, 40, 50 years. I was just with bankers now, and they said they had one that was 55 years Ooh. as a residential mortgage on their home. So not anyways, we're going to break that down. Yeah, that's going to come Chandler, out on Thursday. Chandler doesn't think it's real. This dropped in on Monday. Well, I'm going to have to read the fine print here because that doesn't make sense to me. Um, th- this episode's coming out on Monday. Next episode, watch for it on Thursday. Yes. Thanks, Thanks for listening, guys. guys. See ya. Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press like. Don't forget to subscribe. But also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out. Broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits.